Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So Congress got the tack together and passed the BIF, the infrastructure bill. Isn't voting rights more important? What am I missing here? On the line with us is Joe Madison, host of the Joe Madison Show on uh, Sirius XM, channel 126, the Urban View channel. He's on from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern time, five days a week. He's a civil and human rights activist. Madison Sirius XM is his Twitter handle. JoeMadison.com is the website. Joe, welcome back. It's always great talking to you. Tell our listeners and viewers, you know, what you're up to here with regard to this and what the situation is. Well, the situation is uh, the question, rhetorical question that you asked, uh, you know, what is more important? And I was listening when you were giving the history of the uh, Rutherford-Tilden Compromise. Hmm. My main concern was history is about ready to repeat itself. You know, three things happened during that uh, period of time. One, as you know, there was a, uh, a scandal that the Grant administration had to deal with. Two, uh, there was the beginning of uh, a depression. And then the third one, was that folks in both the North and the South, but primarily in the South, thought that um, the American people had done enough for African Americans by giving them the 14th and 15th Amendment, in addition to that, the right to vote. Well, when the the, uh, Rutherford compromise, which, by the way, he won the presidency by one vote in the House of Representatives, Tom, uh, they felt at the time, if you read editorials and, and research, they had done enough for the former slaves right. by giving them the 14th and 15th well, Amendment. Well, in fact, wasn't so there backlash, they, Joe? I mean, uh, South Carolina had, had elected a large number of black legislators at that point. Oh, they, they pretty much ran the state legislature. Right. And Absolutely. And, and, and it was a and, huge and, white and, backlash. And the, yeah, uh, and it was throughout pretty much throughout the South. We sent they mm-hmm. sent m- multiple members to to Congress. Yeah. Mississippi did the same thing. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. So what was the first thing that the 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 Congress went after? The first thing that society went after was the right to vote. So here we are, uh, and right at the at the same point. So look, let me just get go get to the chase. I'm. I'm going to stay on this hunger strike only because there's not been enough what Dr. Martin Luther King called creative tension. Um, it, you know, it was LBJ who was told by uh, told King, you got to make me uh, do the Voting Rights Act because I, I just twisted arms to get the Civil Rights Act. You got to make me do it. And this is where we are right now. So there's three things. And I'll just cut to the chase. Look, and, and that is one, blow a hole in the filibuster. I'm not willing to sit back and, and let you uh, compromise should there should there not be a filibuster. Uh, one other possibility, and this came from the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, where they had Schumer reconvene the Senate for another vote. Remember now, it's been, what, five votes in one year where all of them loved John Lewis. Oh, we just love him. Well, now that he's dead, we ought to uh, uh, memorialize him by passing the John Lewis Act. And then there's the third one. 
and that is pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Now, look, out of those three, you know, you can find something to protect what I call really the most precious uh, commodity we have. And, and quite honestly, that's the, that's the right to vote. And so, you know, it's a political protest. I began this, and I plan to abstain from eating solid food until Cong- Congress and the president does one of those, uh, those three things. This is not new. The suffrage, you know, they, they had hunger strikes uh, in, in the United Kingdom as well as the United States. And I just said to my audience this morning that food is necessary to sustain life. And the right to vote is necessary to sustain democracy. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, Dick Gregory really, uh, in many ways, I, he didn't, I, I was going to say pioneered this, but he was, he was uh, you know, went on some, a number of very high-profile hunger strikes. Um, well, 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 hold on. Before you start sure. talking, Dick Gregory and I, had, I, I, probably, I probably was on four or five hunger strikes with Dick Gregory. Uh, you know, I was on a hunger strike, when, you remember, when we went to South Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was on a hunger strike. Matter of fact, uh, when I had to sign, matter of fact, I, I told Dick's uh, son, uh, Christian Gregory, I said, you know, when I realized that not enough is being done, I picked up the phone and I called Christian, and because and, Dick's spirit was talking to me. And I said, you know, what would, because we were so close, I said, what would Pops do? And he said, just what you're about ready to do. He'd go on a hunger strike. Yeah. And here's the purpose. The purpose is very simple. It's to, you know, Tom, it's, it's to draw, somebody has to be adamant about drawing attention. There are, as you know, 400 bills pending in 49 state legislatures to suppress our vote. Now, somebody will ask the question, well, aren't you concerned about your health? I mean, I'm getting emails and faxes, I'm not faxes, but tweets and all kind of things. It's not about me. You know, I, I got it. I, look, I've got four children. I've got five grandchildren. I got one great grandchild. I'm more concerned about what's going to happen to them if this country suppresses their vote. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's about. So, and it's and I got to tell you, Tom, you know this better than anybody. It's not business as usual. This is not business as usual. Yep. So. You know, I mean, Schumer knows he can reconvene. Uh, the president can stop waffling about the filibuster. And I think that's probably the largest question that the media never seems to ask. Uh, you know, it's like all, you know, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, you know, in, in their obstruction of this, that, and the other thing, including ending or reforming the filibuster, get all the publicity. But you've got 100% of the Republican Party that is opposed to voting rights. Even Tim Scott, who was negotiating it originally, uh, has walked away from this. I mean, 100% of the Republican Party is opposed to voting rights for, for uh, anybody who's not white and suburban, it seems. Tom, you just brought up something. How can Tim Scott, an African-American from South Carolina, with the history that the end of the Reconstruction had on that state and other states, how can he look himself in the mirror? And here's what I would say to him. What the hell do you think your great-grandfather would say to you today, Tim Scott, with you standing in the way, obstructing the right to vote, even when a Supreme Court justice says, if you want to correct the Shelby Holder decision, then it's up to the Congress. And John Lewis writes a bill that does just that. I mean, it is, you know, it really, now I'm, I'm really getting angry. And Tim Scott represents South Carolina? 
Yeah. Well, he represents the Republican Party first and foremost, apparently, which is, has largely become a white supremacist party, in my opinion. Well, then he uh, ought then he ought to represent his ancestors. I'm damn with it. <laughs> I'm with you, Joe. We're talking with Joe Madison, host of the Joe Madison Show, uh, right here on Sirius XM uh, channel one twenty six, weekdays six to nine, uh, six to ten a.m. Um, Joe, what can people who are listening or watching do to support you in your hunger strike? Everybody can do something. I, you know, I have a, I just got a, I have somebody who, who said, you know, I'm going to stop, uh, I'm going to have one meal uh, that I'm going to give up. You know, I hate to answer, I hate to answer that question because I tell you, I always say that the difference between a movement and a moment is that all movements require sacrifice. I don't know what to tell uh, Tom Hartman to, to, to sacrifice. I, you know, people have to decide what they think is important. But I tell you what, I, I, I would suggest one thing. If, I'm a, if you're a listener, there are more Repu- Republican senators, I think, up for re-election this cycle around. I would ask them to do the morally, politically correct thing. Because they're going to end up on that side of history with the Dixiecrats in the Reconstruction Compromise. That's where they're going to end up. And so that's one thing. Do whatever you can to draw attention to this. But we've Mm -hmm. got to be adamant about this. This is not not something you just hit them one time. Um, I, you know, I, so that's my answer to that. I'm always reluctant. I'm not asking people to do what I do. I, I got to do something, and um, uh, and that's what I'm doing. I've always taken the position, Tom. Everybody can do something. Yeah. Everybody can do something. And I think the and I think the media needs to draw attention to this. I think they need to cha- I think even the progressives and liberals they need to challenge Biden. Yeah. Um, everybody can do something. I'm with you. I'm with you, Joe. The great Joe Madison, host of the Joe Madison Show on Sirius XM Channel 126, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, weekdays, right here on Sirius XM. Joe, thanks so much. God bless. Back at you. JoeMadison.com and Madison Sirius XM, by the way, on Twitter. Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. You know, there's an environmental story that happened yesterday in Los Angeles that none of the local media seemed to have picked up on, so I thought maybe I'd uh, pass it on to you. Okay. They had the Los Angeles Marathon for the first time in something like 19 months. Uh, this is following, of course, the COVID shutdown. And the subhead in the local paper was that uh, runners got a taste of normality. And unfortunately, they got a breath of normality, too, because at the starting point, which was Dodger Stadium after 6.30, the air quality level was unhealthful or unhealthy, as they quaintly say in the district, uh, unhealthy for sensitive persons, which means the young, the old persons with existing cardiac or lung disease. Uh, It's from combustion because the particulate in question was the fine part, uh, the pollutant in question rather was a fine particulate matter, 2.5 microns, and so. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, the way the rating system goes. There are six uh, quality levels, ranging from good up to hazardous. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, the third from the bottom. Uh, eventually, when the uh, runners got to downtown LA, where it was unhealthful for everybody. Now all the local news outlets I could find uh, had absolutely no question about air quality. They went into detail about the cloud cover and the temperature and all that sort of thing. But it struck me that this is a very enormous waste of all the money that the Air Quality Management District puts into all these monitoring stations 
and that no one seems to pay any attention to the air quality on yeah. a regular basis or even I'm, exceptional I'm, I'm basis. I'm with you, Mike, and, and it, should be, it should be part of the regular reports. It, it, and I know in some places it is. <laughs> After we had the forest fires here last year, they started reporting it more frequently in Oregon. But uh, Yeah, they yeah. pay attention to it here when there are fires going on. Right. But the rest of the year, it's only one network-owned TV station that seems to mention air quality. Yeah, yeah I get it. Mike, uh, thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. Pamela in Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Pamela, what's on your mind? Yeah, hi, Tom. Hey, uh, you know, I would think that if Schumer cancels all recesses until they vote on major bills like the voting rights bill or Bill Bet Better, that that would be some kind of leverage. No, no Christmas recess, no summer recess. Because didn't Mitch McConnell use that tactic once and didn't um, um, Schumer cave to confirm some judges for McConnell? I don't recall, but I know Mitch McConnell did cancel the summer recess so that he could push through more judges. Uh, it was either the third or fourth year of the Trump administration. It might have been both. And I was arguing on this program back in uh, June or July that Schumer should cancel the summer recess uh, for Congress and, and get some work done. But he went ahead with it anyway, which just, you know, seems to me like, uh, you know, where is where is your sense of crisis? I mean, how can you how can you claim yeah. that America is on the edge of a fascist, a neo-fascist crisis, and and take a vacation? <laughs> you know, I just yeah. I just don't get yeah, it. Yeah, Schumer needs to get tough. He he really does. Oh, somebody somebody needs to to. I don't know. <laughs> you know, somebody needs to wake him up. Um, I'm with thank you. Thank you, Tom. Pamela, thank you very much thank for you. the call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. friend and colleague Joe Madison talking about how he's going on a hunger strike to encourage Congress to blow up the filibuster or at least drill a hole in it so that the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the uh, Freedom to Vote Act can be passed. There's also the For the People Act, which has been kind of set aside now. But, you know, there's a lot on the table here. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the nuts and bolts of these pieces of legislation themselves particularly the uh, John Lewis Voting Act. I, I, in my opinion, we're screwed without it. And yet, it may not quite go as far as we need. On the line with us is Congressman, Gre Congressman, is <laughs> journalist, investigative journalist, Greg Pallast. GregPallast.com is his website, Greg underscore Pallast on Twitter. Hey, my friend, I think I just gave you a promotion, but... Uh, so. <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to announce my campaign for months. <laughs> <laughs> so the John Lewis Voting Act, uh, I was surprised to learn, I learned this from you, that yeah. it only covers a handful of states. I thought that by this yeah. point in time, we would have figured out that it's not just the South that is trying to suppress, uh, by and large, the black vote, but in general, the vote of young people, Social Security voters, you know, college-age voters, and, and, of course, minorities across the country. 
Yeah. Okay. First of all, let's you know we have all these bills flying around. There was the For the People Act, which, to be very frank, was kind of like overhyped. It was like I remember back in 2003 we passed the Help America Vote Act. You know, when George Bush was helping us vote, which should have been a signal that that wasn't too good. It did pass with the Congressional Black Caucus's help, and uh, it ended up uh, with uh, Jim Crow having a few new uh, tricks to to play. It did some good things, but it also handed $6 billion to the states to buy voting machines, as I recall. Yes, and it required centralizing the voter data and not only authorizing, but requiring states to begin central purges of their voter file. Devastating, and we ended up with second-class ballots called the provisional ballots. 2.7 million people shunted to provisional ballots, which uh, and a million of those get disqualified. Almost all of them, black and, and by the way, Asian-American voters are the big uh, are the big group hit by having their ballots thrown out, their provisionals. So it turned out to be... This uh, wonderful uh, voting rights reform of 2003 turned out to be actually a negative, a uh, Jim Crow disaster. We don't want to repeat that. But I have to say the John Lewis bill, of all the three bills out there, is absolutely something that would completely help because it would restore Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. And what that means is it would restore preclearance. You're going to play games, for example, Cobb County, Georgia, in you know, in the days before, yeah, uh, (laughs) that was Newt Gingrich's district. Yeah, he was my congressman. (laughs) Yeah, what what shocked the Cobb County burgers is that um, Ossoff, Warnock, and um, Biden all won Newt Gingrich's county, Cobb County. So they said, well, what do we do for the runoff for the Senate? Well, that's easy. There's eleven, eleven early voting stations where most people voted. And so we'll close six of the 11, all six in black precincts, all six, all six. And if the John Lewis Act were in effect already, that could not have happened because what you have to do preclearance is a fancy term saying you got to, if you're going to play games, change your voting systems, change your hours, close voting stations, you have to send it to the Justice Department with a statement that it has no negative effect on voters of color or, or by gender or age. Uh, obviously, that would not have happened. Now, of course, the seal was overcome in the election on January 5, uh, but SB 202 in Georgia has made things worse. So no question. SB 202 is the Georgia bill that added new Jim Crow tactics and cut uh, early voting hours, et cetera. This could not go through if we had the John Lewis bill. But you're right, as I signaled to you, because very few people actually read these bills, Tom. That's uh, why you pay me the big bucks. Zero. (laughs) But okay, I'm not going to complain. But I do actually read the bills. And if you look at the John Lewis bill, it really only applies at the moment, if it passes, to... um, to about eight states, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, and Virginia. Yeah, I didn't memorize it. I read it. Um, in other words, if, uh, if you're in, in a Jim Crow state like Arizona, well, that's a Jose Crow state, or in Ohio or Wisconsin, where they play horrific racially biased voting uh, games, uh, you can be whistling, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in Dixie. Because you're off the hook. You don't have to pre-clear your games. As we mentioned on this program, uh, there's a new massive purge system which has gone wild called ERIC. And it was one of the things that uh, almost cost Joe Biden Wisconsin. It was blocked. I did an a, a analysis for ACLU and Black Voters Matter, found out it was highly uh, biased. And so uh, it was blocked, at least for the presidential election, this last one, but Biden only won that state by 10,000 votes. If you don't stop this stuff, Wisconsin's gone. Michigan's gone. Um, you know, don't discount the fact that, that Virginia, which is on this uh, list for preclearance, that the Democrats lost Virginia, but in part, not all, not all of it, but in part because of a massive attack on the voter rolls in Virginia. How did so, that happen with a, with a Democratic governor? Well, they've, uh, and, and we see this in North Carolina, too where they have a very weak board of a board of elections which is uh, still in the hands of the of the Jim Crow operatives in North Carolina you still see in Virginia problems others it's not necessarily up to the governor though he did the governor and the legislature which was which democrats have just lost control of the legislature they did make 
early voting easier. They did make mail-in voting easier. They eased some of the nasty requirements in Virginia, just nasty right, This was Ralph, Ralph Northam's work. Yeah, but yeah. it was uh, obviously was not. It, look, they, they have so many games that they play. You know, I told you about closing the voting stations, the, mm-hmm. the, the massive purges. But right now, we're looking at these five states are the only ones that would have to pre-clear. That is, you know, say, hey, listen. We promise this ain't Jim Crow. I know we're only closing, st- you know, voting stations in black areas, but, you know, don't worry about that. And, of course, the goofy things like no water. So what happens is you create long, long lines, hours long, and then you make it a, a felony crime to hand someone a bottle of water. Now, it's, you know, the problem is that the Supreme Court has already said you can't pick out certain states for a federal law. It has to be really strongly justified. And that's and and Justice Kennedy, who was the swing vote, had suggested to the Obama administration, to their solicitor general, he said, "Listen, why don't we just apply preclearance to every state? Because New York City, by the way, which was under preclearance, because they never they always refused until uh, the Voting Rights Act to um, to print any ballots in Spanish. So New York." pre-clears all its changes, and it said, that's not a big deal. We send a letter saying, you know, we're moving voting stations or we got new voting machines or whatever. It's not a big deal to let people know that we're making changes in voting systems. In fact, it ought to be public. That shouldn't be secret and sneaky. Mm-hmm. So it was suggested by New York City. It was suggested by Justice Kennedy. But um, the progressives have been afraid to say, we have to apply voting rights conditions to every state, when, I mean, like I said, I've reported for you from Ohio, right. from Wisconsin, Michigan, and frankly, so, California. So, Greg, too. you know, I doubt they're going to rewrite this. You know, if that's what you're lobbying for, um, it does. Does the Freedom to Vote Act, the the one that Joe Manchin negotiated with uh, Lisa Murkowski, and she voted for, uh, does that solve this problem? No, not even close. I mean, one of the problems is we're going to have to rely now on two things. One, the Justice Department, mm. and two, uh, you know, to be much more aggressive than it's been. It's been, vote, you know, first of all, big change from Trump. I don't want to say nothing's changed. It's been huge. They did sue the Justice Department to reverse or to eliminate much of SB 202, that horrible new Georgia law. And that's important because, remember, Reverend Senator Warnock is running for reelection next year. Yep. And uh, but they it doesn't cut out all the things like the this the we went over how one individual in Georgia challenged thirty two thousand voters that stuff will not be blocked under any of these laws, and neither will the Justice Department's uh, suit stop that. You know, here's what I'm concerned with. I heard Joe Biden on CNN say, and he you know he begins with always here's the deal. So here was his deal. He says, I can't kill. I can't go after the filibuster on voting rights, because that will cost me votes on my economic program. Well, that may be short-sighted, because if you don't have a democratically elected Congress, you won't have a democratic Congress. And, you know, to kind of paraphrase Ben Franklin, those who would give up voting rights for uh, a budgetary uh, gain deserve neither. I'm very worried. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it concerns me, too. And, and uh, you know, I, although uh, this is what we have right now, we've got to get the John Lewis Voting Rights Act uh, and and I think the Freedom to Vote Act passed. I mean, you know, we just have to do that at the very least. But, Greg, I'm, I'm with you that we could uh, we need more. We absolutely need more. Um, the so, devil's in the details and he gets to vote. Yeah, there you go. Greg Palace, gregpalace.com is the website, Greg underscore Palace, one of the nation's great reporters. Thank you, Greg. You're very welcome. So what happens as America, or what happens to America, as the Republican Party increasingly embraces domestic terrorism? And I don't mean that to be hyperbolic. I'm not trying to be, you know, oh my God, hysterical hair on fire or exaggerate or anything. I mean, I'm just like dead serious about this. Reuters has this remarkable report out. It's a Reuters special report. It's titled Reuters unmasks Trump supporters 
who terrified U.S. election officials. And I just share a little bit with you. In Arizona, a stay-at-home dad and a part-time Lyft driver told the state's chief election officer that she would hang for treason. In Utah, a youth treatment center staffer warned Colorado's election chief that he knew where she lived and watched her as she slept. In Vermont, a man who says he works in construction told workers at the state election office and at Dominion Voting Systems that they were about to die. This might be a good time to put an effing pistol in your effing mouth and pull the effing trigger, the man shouted at Vermont officials with a thick New England accent last December, only he didn't say effing. Your days are effing numbered. Now, if you said that to your next door neighbor and they dialed 911, you'd be in jail. Seriously. Death threats are, are I mean, a big deal. It's actually a form of assault. So anyhow, back to Reuters. The three had much in common. All described themselves as patriots fighting a conspiracy that robbed Donald Trump of the 2020 election. All are regular consumers of far-right websites that embrace Trump's stolen election falsehoods. And, and here's, the, here's the crushing detail. And none have been charged with a crime by the law enforcement agencies alerted to their threats. They are among nine people who told Reuters in interviews that they made threats or left other hostile messages to election workers. In all, they are responsible for nearly two dozen harassing communications to six election officials in four states. Seven made threats explicit enough to put a reasonable person in fear of bodily harm or death. The U.S. federal standard for criminal prosecution, according to four legal experts who reviewed their messages at Reuters' request. So here we have people who are making death threats to elected officials, which is a federal crime. And the FBI and the Department of Justice and even the local police departments are doing absolutely nothing about it. Reuters contacted these elected officials who were getting these death threats. The elected officials gave them copies of their text messages and their cell phone messages and their emails uh, the, uh, the threats came from where the people making the threats were making no effort to conceal who they were. Reuters then tracked down the people who made the threats and said, did you make these threats? And the people said, yeah, sure. They tried to steal the election from, or they stole the election from Donald Trump. I just want my country back. This, this kind of stuff, right? And so then Reuters says, you ever hear from the police? Nope, not a word. Reuters notes, these cases provide a unique perspective into how people with everyday jobs and lives have become radicalized to the point of terrorizing public officials. They are part of a broader campaign of fear waged against frontline workers of American democracy chronicled by Reuters this year. The news organization has documented nearly 800 intimidating messages to election officials in 12 states, including more than 100 that could warrant prosecution, according to legal experts. Now, let me just flip that around. If black people with Black Lives Matter or white people with Antifa or both or people of any race in either group we're making death threats to Republican elected officials. How long do you think that would be allowed to continue? I'm not recommending that. In fact, I would strongly recommend against it, just for the record. But if the, if the roles were reversed, you think that this country would tolerate it? Reuters notes, the examination of the threats also highlights the paralysis of law enforcement in responding to this extraordinary assault on the nation's electoral machinery. And then they point out that after they reported this back in June, six months ago, five months ago, after Reuters reported the widespread intimidation in June, the U.S. Department of Justice launched a task force to investigate threats against election staff and said it would aggressively pursue such cases. But, 
Law enforcement agencies have made almost no arrests and won zero convictions. In many cases, they didn't even investigate. And then they go through this, they go through their interviews with these individuals. This is, this is now the, the warp and, and weave or woof or whatever that old phrase is of the Republican Party. I mean, this is embedded in the Republican Party now, is the idea that death threats and physical violence or threats of physical violence, stalking, harassment, are now you know, accept, an acceptable part of our, of our political dialogue. How did we get here? I mean, there's, there's a, a piece over on Raw Story. This is a guy, these are, this is a, a, a husband and wife, apparently, here in, in Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon, you know, in the college town, the University of, uh, of Oregon, or Oregon State University, or whatever the college is there in Eugene. I, I'm, U of O, thank you, Sean. They walked into a cookie shop, a cookie shop this anti-mask couple and started pushing the store owner, physically pushing the store owner around and yelling about my freedom. You don't get to effing assault people and run a business, says the protester, who is now holding a baseball bat. So the, the two people who came in, the anti-maskers, Ricky Collin and Amy Hall, called the police to try to get the store owner who threatened them with a baseball bat, which they took away from the store owner, to get, to get the store owner arrested. The police showed up and arrested the so-called, you know, the anti-mask hole, the, the mask holes, shall we say, the anti-maskers. But it's like, what made them think this is an appropriate thing to do in the first place? It's the Republican Party's strategy of keeping the COVID pandemic going in America, even as other countries have just gone back to normal. Denmark is back to normal now. Norway is largely back to normal. Sweden, I mean, you know, pretty much everybody's vaccinated. But not here. The Republican strategy is keep the economy in the crapper, or put it there and keep it there, by keeping the virus floating around America so that people are afraid to go to work. So, you know, the economy suffers and Joe Biden gets the bad rap for it. That's the Republican plan right now. It's been, they, they put this plan into place in January of this year and they have been executing it with absolute precision ever since. And they've got the right wing media in on it as well. They don't care how many of their supporters they kill or sicken. Because the whole goal here is to take back political power in 20, they, they have to take back the House of Representatives in 2022 so that in 2024, they can use the House of Representatives to hand the election to whoever the Republican nominee is. And I'm telling you, they, they will do it. This is their plan. And along the way, hey, Physical violence, no problem. Threats and intimidation, no problem. This is how it played out in the early 1930s in Germany. This is how it played out in the mid-1920s in Italy. This is how it played out right up until the mid-1970s in Spain. This is what fascist political parties do. And we should not be tolerating it. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued 
at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Remember Kathy Griffin? She was a comedian. And while Trump was president, she took a picture, had a picture taken of herself holding one of those rubber masks that looks like a severed Trump head. Or it looks like, you know, it's a Trump head mask and it had some, some red paint on the bottom of it that looked like, you know, blood dripping as if she was like, you know, Al-Qaeda with Trump's head. She's a comedian. Comedians do shocking and outrageous things to get a laugh and to make a point. But America was so horrified by this that she basically lost her career. She became radioactive. Nobody would have her on television. You know, she lost her contract for her TV specials. Uh, you know, clubs wouldn't book her. I mean, she, she was banished to the outer darkness. Kathy Griffin. Remember that? Wasn't that long ago. Well, now Paul Gosar, the crazed dentist who represents uh, a district of Arizona in the U.S. House of Representatives, whose brother has been on this program saying, hey, my brother Paul is mentally ill. Paul Gosar, or words to that effect, Paul Gosar just tweeted a video of him murdering Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's a Japanese anime video. It's, it's from a superhero series where the, you know, the good guy is killing the, the titan, the big bad guy. And he's taken, and, and Gosar, or his campaign, or somebody associated with him, he tweeted it, took the good guy's head from this Japanese anime cartoon thing, uh, took the good guy's head and replaced it with Paul Gosar's, and took the bad guy's head and replaced it with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and then we get to see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being murdered. Bloody slaughter by Paul Gosar. And this is okay? Where are the Republicans who are speaking out? There were a lot of Democrats who came out and said, oh, Kathy Griffin has gone too far. Where are the Republicans? Or is the case that I was making in the previous block that what's really going on here is that the Republican Party is moving in the same direction that the Nazi Party did in the early 1930s? Mobilize rage and direct that toward minority groups and the state and government. To the point where you eventually seize the state and then you turn the state into an instrument of terror. And you do it in the name of liberty. Now, you know, most Americans weren't even alive in the 1940s. They have no recollection of this from firsthand experience. In fact, probably nobody alive today, well, very few people anyway, have any, you know, serious recollection of it. And I don't think, you know, frankly, in America, we teach it the way that we should in our schools. In Germany, it's, you know, the Holocaust is a required part of the curriculum. Not here. And we need to make it part of the curriculum along with our actual racial history because, hey, you know, if you don't know how things happen, you are at risk of repeating them. We have a Republican Party that is increasingly justifying killing five people while trying to capture the United States Capitol building to stop the peaceful transfer of power in the United States and to overturn an actual election. You've got a, a, an entire party now that is committed to this. Yeah, I, I get it. You know, you've got uh, a couple of outliers. Sure. Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. I doubt either one of them is even going to be in the House of Representatives, you know, in, in a year and a half. How does, the, how does the Republican Party save itself from this? I don't know the answer to this question. How does the Republican Party start backing away from this kind of violence? 
The closest I can get in my mind, maybe you know, maybe you have a, a, an idea on this. The closest I can get in my mind is that they look at what happened in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin and they say, hey, it's possible for a Republican to win an election without Donald Trump. Youngkin succeeded in keeping Trump out of the state, never mentioned his name. Therefore, we can abandon Trump and just go back to being the party of rich people rather than the party of, you know, neo-fascist thugs. Will they do it? I mean, there are voices in the party who are calling for this, but a lot of them who are calling for it have left the party. You know, the whole Lincoln Project bunch. People like uh, Joe Scarborough, you know. Well, actually, I think he, maybe he's still calling himself a Republican. I'm not real sure, but, but you know, the, decent people need to take this party back. And I'm using the word decent in the broadest possible sense. is our old buddy Debbie Hines, a trial lawyer, legal political commentator, former prosecutor, served as the assistant attorney general for the state of Maryland earlier in her career, and uh, our informal official legal analyst for the Tom Hartman program. Her website, I am Debbie Hines, D-E-B-B-I-E-H-I-N-E-S dot com, I am Debbie Hines dot com, and that's also her Twitter handle, I am Debbie Hines. And Debbie, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've talked. Thank I'm, you, Tom. I'm, I'm so glad yeah. you can make it back. I'm just exactly. very reluctant to name the the killers here. I, I although it's happening in the in the you know the, the shooting up in Minnesota, of course, you know, his name is all over the place. But anyhow, what's going on on the in the trial for the the guys who murdered, in my opinion, Ahmed Arbery? But I don't know the jury. That is 11 white people and one black person. But it's how we ended up with that that is very troubling with me because I think that even the judge pretty much said that the defense attorneys intentionally discriminated in striking black jurors from the jury. And that is the very thing that the Supreme Court says you cannot do. You cannot strike jurors from the jury just because they are black. Now, of course, people can always say what reason that they did it other than because of race. We're not going to say I struck someone because they were black. But in this case, even the judge did not find the defense attorney's um, reasoning to be credible. And so in the judge's words, he says, well, I see it was, quote, intentional discrimination, end quote. Oh, but I'm just going to get rid of these other eight black jurors from the jury. So that's the thing that's most troubling to me because, mm-hmm. it, you know, if a jury on the case is really everything um, in the case because those are the 12 people that are going to decide the fate of the case, whether justice is going to be found for Amon Arbery and whether these individuals are going to be convicted or not. So that's, you know, that's number one. But um, opening statements, I think, went really well because the prosecution just came out of the gate swinging hard and, you know, called it what it was, that these men were just making assumptions about things, of course, all the assumptions are wrong, and that they actually hunted down Amon Aubrey and shot him dead uh, for doing nothing. And, of course, the defense is trying to say that it was a civil uh, citizen's arrest, and that's what they were up to. They thought that there was a crime that was being committed and they were just performing a citizen's arrest. But that's, um, you know, not buttressed by what happened with the witness testimony because the officer who spoke to the three defendants um, who came on the scene and found um, Mr. Um, Arby dead, um, they never once said that they were trying to conduct a citizen's arrest. They never, ever said that at all. They never said they were trying to detain him. They were trying to stop him. I mean, none of that came about. Um, immediately after. And as we say in law, the things that you say immediately after an incident are the most believable because that's what's freshest in your mind as opposed to concocting your defense at some point in time months later. So that's where we're at. We're kind of sort of moving slowly along with the, uh, which we have officers on the came upon the scene, saw Mr. Arbery. Yeah. So, Debbie, these three guys, basically, they saw him running down the street, hopped in their pickup truck, 
chased him down and and shot him a couple of times with a shotgun. Uh, that, in summary, is is essentially what happened. They were hunting a human being, and they're trying to claim that they were doing this because they thought he was vandalizing a house that was under construction, and that they were trying to perform a citizen's arrest. Do you see any indication that the jury is going to, first of all, did I accurately describe it? And secondly, if so, what's your sense of how this is going to shake out? What kind of uh, jail time or, or whatever are the uh, defendants looking at here? Right. So, you know, it's really hard to tell how anything is going to shake out. It's really very much in the beginning of the trial. I mean, I just find that the um, the sense is really, really unbelievable as to what they're saying, because the house that um, Ahmaud Arby was supposedly or allegedly trying to break in was a house that was under construction, so it was all open. There was nothing to break into. It was just all completely open. And then the interesting thing is that when the individuals, and this is according to the police officer, when the three, when one of the three individuals, you know, saw something was going on, they saw a black guy in the neighborhood, and the three individuals, one of them went and got the shotgun. Uh -huh. And then chase after and run after Amon Arbery, you know, because they didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, at the end of the day, if you had more black jurors on this jury, we would know that, you know, they were chasing after him just like historically in the past when there were slave patrols and they chased after runaway slaves. That's what it appears to be to me that's happening. But I'm not, I'm not a white person, and 11 white people are sitting on that jury, and they're reality is not the same reality as black jurors so that's where you know that's where we have the problem at um, if they were convicted of murder most murder charges carry life i'm not really sure because i don't practice in georgia as to what the uh, the maximum you know maximum charges there are for murder but generally you know first degree murder carries generally life degree life and know, it's murder. and it's going to require a, a unanimous jury verdict verdict is it not that's correct, that all 12 people have to uh, find them guilty or innocent. And, you know, it's interesting because there are three individuals, and is, uh, one that is a shooter, the other two are not shooters. Um, it could be a split decision. It doesn't have to be that all three of them are convicted of the same charges. There's one that does the video, which, thank God, because that's how we found out what happened to Mr. Arbery. Yeah. But um, it doesn't have to be the identical same conviction for all three of them. But yes, it has to be, a, um, you know, all 12 jurors have to agree to the charges or otherwise it's a mistrial. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Debbie, thank you so much for, for the thank analysis you. and for, for keeping track of this, you know, for paying attention to what's going on and, and, and filling us in. I look forward to keeping in touch with you as this continues. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, thank okay. you so much. Debbie Hines, her website, I am Debbie Hines, D E B B I E H I N E S dot com. And of course, you can tweet her at I am Debbie Hines. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Linda in Auburn, Washington. Hey, Linda, what's on your mind today? Hi. Well, I called about wanting unity mm -hmm. and, and the concern of the low ratings for Biden. And, okay, so I was one in the Democratic Party. I have liked Kucinich in the past, and I voted for Biden because I'm, over time, I came to value the Bible, which we have an issue where, if you look at it, there's probably a lot of people in the Democratic Party that do go to probably more of the progressive type churches. Well, and my concern is, is health freedom. And I think there's a lot of women and a lot of women Democrats that are also Christians that might not want to have vaccines for their children, for example, or might want to have things go focusing on health more. Uh, Linda, I'm, you know, I'm not going to fight the vaccine wars with you. I'm sorry. You know, it's just, the vaccine will save your life. It will save the lives of the people around you. And if you're going to try and cloak anti-vaccine BS in Christianity, well, I'm just, I'm just not going to allow it. <laughs> On my air, anyway. I mean, take it someplace else. 
respectfully. Myron in Mobile, Alabama. Hey, Myron, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how you doing? I just wanted to give you a little something to help you counter using Aikido, critical race theory. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you hear critical race theory or CRT, you say, oh, you mean corrupt racial tactics or crooked racial tenets. You use that as a counter to CRT. Come up with an absurd uh, acronym or a, an absurd definition right. for the acronym? Right. Yeah, it's and, an and idea. I would, I would ask your uh, listeners to come up with, with some other names close to that. Mm -hmm. But I like corrupt racial tactics that they've been practicing all these years or crooked racial tenets. Crooked racial tenets, corrupt racial tactics. tactics. Yeah. Huh. Right. Good stuff. Okay, let me ponder that, Myron. I, you know, oh. I think you, you probably are onto something. Thank you very much. Zeke in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Zeke, what's up? Tom, first off, I want to congratulate you. Uh, if I talked to you six months ago about the Republicans as fascist, I think you would have backed away from it, and you have now embraced it full on. Yeah, because I, it is I, the truth. I wouldn't have, but that's fine. And we've only got 30 seconds, Zeke. What's your point? Well, the Democratic Party is at a threshold, at an inflection point. If they do not divorce themselves from the corp from corporate America, which the Republicans brilliantly forced them into the arms of when they destroyed the union movement under Reagan, if they do not do this, if they do not back away from the neoliberal ridiculousness that basically doomed Terry McAuliffe in the Virginia election, then they are doomed. Democracy is doomed. They have got to do this and get their money from small donations on the internet yep. as Bernie Sanders showed them they could do. Okay? Amen. Zeke, that was brilliant, and you kept it under 30 seconds. I'm impressed. Thank you, Zeke. Got a geeky science for you, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. We've got an amazing geeky science here. This is research at Uppsala University in Sweden. They're looking at patterns of the moon, full moons, and behavior of people. You know, we've, you know, this is where the word lunatic comes from, right? A person who is affected by Luna, the moon. And what they're finding is that they, they studied the sleep of 492 women and 360 men who tried to sleep when the moon is waxing where it's getting more and more full each night. It's getting brighter and brighter every day. It's a waxing moon. A waning moon is when it's getting weaker and weaker. And uh, they say that uh, women seem largely unaffected by this lunar cycle, but men are hugely affected. And they note this is in stark contrast with folklore. Women have been associated with the moon. In fact, the ancient Roman goddess Luna you know, was used for the term for menstruation which erroneously linked menstrual cycles to lunar cycles, and it turns out that there, there isn't a link there. But this is fascinating. Previous research has shown that men's brains are more responsive to ambient light than women's brains. As the waxing moon becomes bigger each night in the lunar cycle, this is from uh, Christian Benedict, the corresponding author on the study and one of the scientists at Uppsala University. As the waxing moon becomes bigger each night in the lunar cycle, it produces more and more light. Our hunter-gatherer ancestors could have adapted sensitivity to the waxing moon because of its bright light gave them more opportunities to hunt. Or they may have been more vulnerable to predators under the brightening light of the waxing moon. So men who served as protectors may have evolved this wakefulness to help them defend their people. It's fascinating. You know, it's like the hunter-gatherer theory, the hunter-farmer theory steps up. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, uh, picking up your phone calls. Don in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, we just have about a minute, Don. So this is a quick one, please. Tom, I'm just wondering what's going on with how come Trump hasn't been indicted in Georgia and in New York? Well, they just impaneled a grand jury in, in Georgia. They did it in New York about, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? So give them a few months. You know, it takes a little time. I was really worried that nothing was going to happen to that criminal. Oh, I think that, you know, when you're looking at grand juries, you're looking at, you know, that, that's the, the really, really serious power. And there are now two criminal grand juries looking into Trump and uh, himself, uh, not to mention the, the, the state attorney general in New York and the city of New York, uh, uh, what's, I forget, the, uh, the prosecuting attorney for the city of New York. And I, I don't think he's gonna get out of this thing. I, you know, he may end up just paying fines. It's, uh, it's probably unlikely he'll go to jail, but 
Uh, I don't think he's going to get out of this one, Don. Don, thanks for the call, and thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It does require you. So make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure everybody you know is registered to vote. And if you live in a red state, make sure they haven't purged you from the voting list. Because there's an election coming up in 13 months, and we need our 12 months, and we need to get ready for it. Have a great afternoon. Get out there, get active, tag your it, and be good to yourself and the people around you. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.